podcast. Welcome to episode three. I am your host, Andrew Swope. Last week, we were talking about Sola Scriptura and, and talking about the Reformation and Luther. Again, Sola Scriptura has been affirmed uh, throughout the church since its beginning. It's been this affirmed concept, but it didn't really start to get structure again until the Reformation. So that was last week. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about Sola Scriptura in light of cultural issues. And I want to be as quick as I can about this. I want to make sure that we are being very concise. Uh, before I begin in that, there's a couple of books I want to actually show you. This first one is called Sola Scriptura, uh, The Protestant Position on the Bible. So it has a couple people who wrote it, uh, Joel Beek, uh, Robert Godfrey, R.C. Sproul, uh, John MacArthur, James White, and then edited by Don Kistler. This is a, a great book uh, that gives a wide range of different voices and authors about writing about this doctrine. And so this was also uh, very helpful as I was trying to learn more about the doctrine so I could help you guys and explain it. And then uh, another great book that's a little bit, goes a little bit deeper, I think, uh, in answering some of the consequences of why we need to, if we don't affirm uh, scripture alone or sola scriptura, uh, what happens, some dialogues is by James White, uh, it's called Scripture Alone. Uh, This is a great book in the sense of it gives you, actually a couple of chapters give you a dialogue of what it would be like to be talking with somebody who doesn't affirm Sola Scriptura and then somebody who is affirming this doctrine and see what the dialogue would look like. And and I, I think it was very helpful uh, in the discussion and helpful for me as I was trying to figure out how can I explain the misconceptions about this doctrine especially. Uh, there's another book I... Uh, I don't have with me physically, but it's on Kindle. It's called God's Word Alone. Uh, Authority of Scripture is is kind of the subtitle, and it's by Matthew Barrett. Uh, they've done a series on the solas. I actually have my sola um, t-shirt today. But it's by Matthew Barrett, and it's called God's Word Alone. They've got a series on the solas. But this book uh, was so helpful in understanding the this doctrine of the authority of Scripture. Uh, and how the Protestants affirm that that is the sole infallible rule of faith. But we wanted to clarify that the Protestant view is that there are different rules of faith, but the only infallible rule of faith is the Word of God. And so that's, that's what we were talking about last week. Those are a couple of books I wanted to share with you. That's the definition again. Uh, I also wanted to talk with you about how this is really, when it comes down to it, if we're looking at certain current events and, and issues that we're facing as a church in light of sola scriptura and that affirmation, and we're talking with people who have a different narrative than us, who believe in the postmodern narrative or believe in, they believe in some other religion, we're dealing with someone's epistemology. It's answering the question, how do we know what we know? Where do we get, where do we get our, where's our source of knowledge come from? How does somebody know whether it's, whether something somebody's speaking is opinion, it's subjective, and something is objective, it's truth. How do they how do they know that? Where do they get that? So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to tackle as many issues as possible. Real quickly, wanted to read to you from 2 Corinthians 10, um, starting in verse 1. I think it's great for us to start the conversation. Let's read this real quick. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some of who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waged according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
Uh, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. That's it right there. And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. That's talking about the fact that in these narratives and discussions we have with people, in our ministries even, when we're ministering to people and leading people, um, we need to, every single lofty opinion and every single argument needs to be destroyed according to the, the truth and knowledge of who God is. Do this with gentleness, but we need to also have discernment and make them obedient to Christ. That's what that is talking about. And so we might, we need to realize we walk in the flesh. Um, we are not perfect. Our, our Savior is perfect and He is good, but we are not good and perfect. So let's go into this with the right mindset. I'm going to try to cover as many issues. Let's go ahead and dive in. Trump supporters uh, recently stormed on Capitol Hill and rioted, broke into Capitol Hill, um, went to Pelosi's desk, they stole stuff, um, broke in, right? I just have been noticing a lot lately how the left, the left is very quick to point out when the right has done something that is just completely condemnable. There's something that can, you cannot reverse, something that can never be forgiven of. That going on to Capitol Hill uh, is just plain wrong, right? But but we also saw that this past summer in 2020, with these this looting and these riots and these 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 businesses being burned down and all of that, there was no talk or media focus on these things that were happening with these BLM protests. Um, again, protesting it's it's an American thing that we do. But the left is guilty of time and time again pointing to one group and saying that that thing you did is condemnable, but then they will not hold that same standard to themselves. In fact, they'll say that those that looting and that rioting was justifiable uh, this past summer, that it, they were right because these police officers were killing black men and black women. And so they're justifiable in what they're doing, but then they're quick to condemn these um, Trump supporters. Now, again, I'm I'm not really on either side, right? I'm, I serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He, at the end, is going to win, right? All, through all this violence, through all this turmoil that's going on politically, he wins, right? He wins. So I don't serve these guys. I'm not serving their narratives. Um, but enough was enough, and I saw on social media somebody was doing this again, uh, very much left-minded. Um, I'm not sure if she's a Christian or not. Don't know exactly what she believes. It was kind of confusing a little bit. But I saw one of her posts, and I could not resist a comment on it. And it probably was not a good decision for me to make. Uh, but I did it anyways. I could not resist. Um, and so I challenged the narrative. I challenged the narrative and the standard by which they're using, they're using these arguments against these Trump supporters. And I started to ask that question, of what standard are we using to judge somebody or condemn somebody? What's the nature of that standard? Because there is no standard that is perfect and infallible apart from God's standard, apart from his word. So everything else is a man-made standard. Everything else is man-made morality. What is perfect, what is right, and what is completely good and pure? That's, that's the questions that need to be asked to these people. It, it exploded, didn't turn well for me in the sense of wasn't able to answer everybody's responses. I mean, it just was honestly very dramatic, not very constructive. So the problem here, I think, that we find is that Christians today, we have a lot of nominal Christians in the sense of we have a lot of people who say, I follow Jesus. They'll even tweet out or put on Facebook, hey, love your neighbor. You know, you're supposed to wear your mask and love your neighbor. Um, they do that, 
And But in the fine print of them doing that and saying that they follow Christ and saying that I'm going to love my neighbor and you need to love your neighbor, in the fine print, they're supporting these worldviews and these narratives and these groups who are against the gospel. They are anti-Christian, anti-Christ, and anti-gospel. They, they're supporting LGBT, LGBT the, the worldview, the organizations. Um, all these BL, BLM is also a group that is wanting to get rid of the, the nuclear family. Again, something that God has spoken in his word that he has designed this. He has made this. Matthew 19, um, Genesis 1, 2, um, talking about how we're made in the image of God, male and female. And, and the family is central to the structure of society and civilization and filling the earth. That male and female in the covenant of marriage and the institution of marriage is vital to society. But they are against that. They are against God's design. They are against his very word. And so we've got these Christians who are in support of these groups. And again, I want I want rights for these people. I want freedom for these people as an American, as a citizen of the United States. But I'm not going to be uh, supporting, I'm not going to be locking arms with these people and these groups um, that are against the gospel. I mean, if we challenge them with the gospel that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and you don't seek after God and therefore you will be condemned before God on the last day. If if we present that to them, uproar, uproar, riot, mob, mob comes in. Uh, and so they're against God's design and, and they're against God's word. And so how can we as Christians be supporting that narrative? Uh, I, I see it to be very inconsistent. We've got to ask these questions. What's your standard? Two things, just to clarify real quickly. Um, we got to move move along. Um, two things to understand. We need to affirm, when we affirm sola scriptura, we are affirming that scripture is not only infallible, the infallible rule of faith, but it's also the inerrant rule of faith. This is what they meant by sola scriptura. Is not only is it infallible and it's not going to pass away, but also it's inerrant. It's not going to make an error, and it never did and never will. It's it's perfect. Uh, the scriptures are completely perfect. So not only are they not going to pass away, but they are without an error. Also, second thing to clarify is that when we say that we affirm sola scriptura, at the same time we are saying that we affirm in tota scriptura. That means all of the scriptures are breathed out by God and, and profitable. Um, used for correcting, used for godliness, used for matters of faith. All of them are. And, and this is what we have to understand is that when we start to challenge people who say they're a Christian, but then we bring up God's word, we bring it out in its proper context with its, its original meaning to its original audience that might have some different applications, but its meaning stays true. When we do that to people and we challenge them with this, what about this scripture? What does it say? we will see that there's these Christ followers that are going to abandon God's church and they're going to abandon God's word. And that's, that's both for BLM and the left and LGBT people, that, the left-minded thinking and the left-minded narrative, as well as the right-minded, the conservative-minded um, person. We have to challenge both of them in the sense of, is all of Scripture breathed out by God? Or is it just some of it? Is it just the parts that we like? Because if we affirm sola scriptura, that it is the sole infallible rule of faith, then are we completely depending on all of it? Are we subjected to all of it? That's the encouragement that we have to, and the challenge that we have to do with these professing Christians, is we have to bring up the whole counsel of God and challenge them. 
And if, and if we're in the wrong, if we've assumed too much, we've assumed too much. Again, we submit to the Scriptures. But these, that's why these conversations, I think, with these, these people, they can be hostile, but also they can be really good in helping us really understand what does it mean to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a confessional Christian, one that says, no, sola scriptura, uh, scripture alone for the glory of God alone. So let's ask the right questions, right? Next, next topic, next issue is gender roles. I mean, over these past few decades, we've seen the culture creeping in on this idea of the family, on this idea of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. There's been this redefining. There's apparently multiple genders now. Our culture is shifting in our understanding of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. The big question that Christian circles are especially facing right now is this, what does it mean to be a woman in the church? What does it mean to be a woman in the family? This feminist movement has come out of our culture that is actually contrary to Scripture in the sense that there is now there's, they're trying to break this distinction that there is that there already is between a man and a woman. The fact that a woman is different than a man, and their roles are different uh, between each other. There is this distinction between them. But in this recent, not the classic, but in this recent feminist movement, there's now been this idea that a woman needs to be exactly like a man, chasing after his rights, chasing after the same level as him. We're turning everybody into this into these people that are just individuals um, in need of nobody and in need of uh, it, no no sense of working together, this complementary view, right? It's a classical complementary, and I believe it's a very biblical understanding of man and woman. We've been challenged with this. It's come into our churches. Again, all these things, these narratives, they come from these narratives. These challenges and these arguments come from the mind. It comes from man-made uh, philosophies. And so from their very nature, from where they're coming from, how do we know what we know? It comes from me. It comes from, it comes from what I think. It comes from what society says. They are very anti-Christian, anti-gospel. They're against God's word because God has said a woman has a role, a man has a role, both made in the image of God with dignity, with beauty, with my glory, they are, they're made, fearfully and wonderfully made, both of them. So they're equal in value, but their roles are different. And they have roles to play as a family and also within the church. We'll talk about that later in a later episode. I look forward to talking about those roles. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. These gender roles, we have to challenge the narrative that's being given in our schools, the narrative that's being given out in, out in the public square, the marketplaces, the church. We need to challenge these narratives that are being brought up. Do they align with what the scriptures have spoken? And I believe we'd save ourselves a lot of trouble. We'd save ourselves a lot of anxiety and a lot of time and a lot of meetings if we just were to submit to the authority of scripture. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable. It's helpful for the man of God. It's meant for godliness. It's meant for faith. This is probably the last topic or issue I'll go into for today. I want to make this brief. There'll be plenty of opportunities to talk about other subjects. Ministry. We've seen over the past few decades, and this really gets frustrating for me. It becomes, I become so burdened, especially for the church and for ministry, but especially for those who are leading families. Because over the past few decades, we have been, as church leaders, as ministers, we become, have, we've become so focused on the worship experience, 
on our hospitality team, on on them coming in, finding the right parking, coming in and, and liking the music and liking the message. We've been so focused on the worship experience rather than being focused on the object of our faith and also how we know that object of our faith. But we have gotten, we've gone astray as a majority of our churches have have gone after the worship experience mentality. And honestly, it's filthy. It's garbage. And it's leading and deceiving people today. They're being led astray because they are not realizing the object of their faith and how they can understand the object, which is Christ. And so we've become so enraptured by great leaders, by these strategies, by getting somebody from point A to point B in their walk with Christ and becoming a disciple. They become a member and then they're going to become a volunteer and then we can get them in a leadership position. We've been so caught up in the experiences and the processes of the church. And we've, in the hustle and bustle, we've lost the sight from the scriptures. What, what God has given to us concerning matters of faith and godliness We've lost sight of it. We'll pull out the scriptures. We'll be submissive to them when the pastor says something. But we we just look to him. He's just another pope. In a lot of evangelical churches, these people are treating their pastors like, like the pope. Like he is the one, the only one who can interpret the scriptures correctly. And so therefore he has divine authority, especially with the word of faith movement. Now, again, I've been misled in my Christianity. Uh, I've been led. In, I've been led in that. It's been pretty recent, but as I've been more educated and as I've learned more about what God's Word actually says, it's convicted me. Especially, it's been within this last year and a half that I've really been brought to my knees and saying, "Scripture alone is the sole infallible rule of faith, and it is no man and no philosophy." that I'm going to be subject to. So we've been caught up in all these other things that are man-made. That's the point. And ministry has become so man-centered, and we, don't, we, won't, we won't acknowledge it, and sometimes we can't realize it. But I will say quality is a good thing. I will say having a good worship gathering that has no distractions is a good thing. I mean, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, there's a chapter where he talks about worship gatherings. He talks about how you're supposed to gather and that you're not supposed to be distracting. You're not supposed to be boasting about the gifts that God has given you. You're not supposed to be making an uproar in the middle of worship. For we have an object of our faith, which is Christ, and we are to know him, and we're to know him through his word, through his inspired written word. That's how we're supposed to know him. And getting rid of distractions is a great thing. Don't want somebody singing up there that's going to make it distracting. That's pointing to themselves or that just might not be good at it, might not be gifted in it. I understand all of that. But quality does not outweigh the authority of Scripture on how we're to come to faith and how to conduct ourselves in the household of God, the church. That is up to the Scriptures. So we have to come back to this. And I'm telling you, it's not going to be long before these consumer Christians, these people who will post on Facebook, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I need to tell you this. They're going to abandon the church. The the local church gathering, they're going to abandon it completely. I mean, there's going to come a time when people are going to be faced with the truths of Scripture, and they're going to realize, I reject this completely. And that's from their hardness of heart. Our responsibility is we need to come back to the text. 
we need to come back to the authority of Scripture. If we don't come back to it, we have no standard, and we really have no, as Second as Corinthians 10 says, we have no divine power for destroying every stronghold that comes against God. God doesn't need us, but we do need to give a reason for the hope that's within us. Uh, we need to give an account in this life for why the gospel is true. I mean, that's our obligation. That's an obligation we have and responsibility as Christians. So there's going to be people who are consumer Christians to the core, depending on their feelings, depending on just their desires, their stomach-like desires, and they're going to leave the church when things get rough. They're going to abandon the bride when trials are going to come this way and people start pointing, the culture starts to point their finger and condemn the church. See, they're condemning Trump supporters right now. Don't have a basis for it. And so how easy and quickly it will be that that finger is going to start to point at the local church. These next few years, I believe it's going to happen, and I believe it's by the grace of God. I believe he is purifying our church. I believe he is making us more like him. And I believe he's making us be people like Luther who are captivated by the word of God. I think he's doing this by his own hand. We don't have to worry about it, but we do need to be on our guard. In the public square, in the family, in the local church, we as Christians have to come back to the scriptures. We cannot settle with these narratives that at the core are truly postmodern views. They are man-made philosophies. We can't settle down with them. We can't support them. We need to make a dividing line. You either stand on scripture alone or you stand on something else. So uh, we are going to discover a lot of things, I think, and there's going to be a lot of conversations and a lot of proclaiming that needs to happen. And if we settle for our traditions, if we settle for our methods in our churches, we're going to be deceived and we're going to allow sins to creep in. But if you look back at church history and you see when the church didn't affirm, especially sola scriptura, when the church did not affirm that and hold to that, watch how people got hurt. Before the Reformation happened, before the Reformers came around, what was happening to people? They were giving their money up. They were living poor lives for the sake of their loved ones not having to suffer anymore in purgatory. They gave their money away. They were lacking on food. They lived in fear. That's what happens when we do not affirm Sola Scriptura. That's what happens. People get deceived and sins creep in that are going to bring consequences for the local church. I don't want that to be the case. But I believe it's by God's grace and by his sovereign hand that he's doing these things. This is our task, church. This is our task, Christian, is to go have some conversations. Challenge some people. Challenge one of your students if you're a student pastor. Challenge one of your uh, members of your congregation. Challenge your neighbor, the narrative that they're believing, the basis that they have. And don't be ashamed to point to the standard of Scripture. You're not, a, you're not beating with the Bible. You're not beating them with it, but you are going to hold to it. You're going to stand on that. That's the only solid foundation that we have, the promises and the very words of our God. I'm hoping that this episode is helpful to you. I'm hoping that we got to see um, a couple of situations and issues that we need to address. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty more things about our culture that we'll talk about this doctrine we'll talk about over and over on this podcast, but thank you so much for watching this episode or listening. Um, if you want to learn more about our ministry, 
you can go to our website and you can also go to um, the social media platforms, message us, uh, message me. I would love uh, to get some feedback as well as some topics maybe for the future that we could cover. Again, there'll be a point which uh, I'll try to go more in depth about Sola Scriptura, but also um, I'll try to go and make a make an episode about women's roles, men's roles in the church and the family, all of that. I'll try to cover that in an episode in the future. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Would you go and rightly divide God's word and teach the nations to obey Christ? God bless.